Hey everyone, I'm Carlos and welcome to a new book discussion of productbooklab.com. Every month we discuss online a book about product management together with the author and other product colleagues. If you want to find the recordings from our previous discussions and also join us and participate on the upcoming ones, go to productbooklab.com. And today we have Diego. We wanted to try uh, having some one-on-one conversations with some influential uh, product managers in the industry. So I thought I definitely have to reach out to, to Diego. So welcome and thank you very much for, for your time, Diego. Carlos, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Super excited to talk about product management and books, something I haven't done before. So really exciting to share whatever I can. Awesome. Nice. So before we dive in, maybe you can give us a, a bit intro about uh, yourself, uh, the role. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm originally from Mexico. Mexico City is home for me, but I moved to the U.S. in 2015. I was studying electric engineering. I worked in business intelligence consulting, but somehow I wanted to make a switch. I wanted something different. And tech was that something that, that had a, you know, like a calling for me. So yeah. I realized that I needed a switch and an MBA was the next step to make that switch into technology. But I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. Fortunately, during my business school, that's when I discovered uh, product management and I fell in love with the position right away. So I said, all right, let's try to go all in. And I tried and succeeded to get into Cisco as the first company that I joined as a product manager working on the networking industry. Then two years later, I thought of trying something new. And Microsoft opened the doors for me. So I worked in AI and machine learning as a product manager. So moved to Seattle. Uh, amazing place. Rains a lot, but it's really beautiful. <laughs> and it's ever since, since mid-2020, I started to be more active, creating content, helping people land jobs. And by doing what I've been doing for the past two and a half years, that sparked some conversations with people at LinkedIn. And long story short, now I'm back in the Bay Area working at LinkedIn as a senior PM uh, to help job seekers find jobs. Nice. Awesome. Yeah, indeed. I, I saw it. I think, uh, how long have you been on LinkedIn now? <laughs> a month. It's nice. been one month. <laughs> <laughs> nice. How, how is it uh, now to work there? Because indeed, I, I also know your content mainly from LinkedIn. I, I, I believe there and on YouTube is maybe where you are a bit more active, right? Yeah, that is correct. It's, it's funny because I always thought that um, YouTube was going to be my main thing. And I was always mm. searching for a way to advertise to the world. Hey, I've got a new video. Come and check it out. But somehow people on LinkedIn like how I wrote stuff. And so my LinkedIn <laughs> audience grew faster. So I ended up having these two main uh, ways to communicate my knowledge, YouTube and LinkedIn. And it's, it's very different. And I think one of the things that I'm most um, uh, excited about is that I've been working on the business to business side. So companies selling to another company for in product management, at least for at least four, maybe five years. Okay. Now I switch completely into the consumer space uh, on, a, on a social platform like LinkedIn. And so everything is very different. The PM skill is very transferable, but the things that we do, how we do things, definitely, definitely very, very different. Yeah. Yeah. What, what, what do you see as the main, uh, those differences or, or maybe highlights also of switching? Yeah. So, you know, in, in the business to business side, which I, I personally think that it's where most of the PMs are in the sense that it's easier to get into a B2B company than trying to think of, oh, I'm going to Discord or TikTok or uh, LinkedIn or things like that. Like, I, I, it's, it's just a, you know, a, a feeling. But I think that when you join a B2B space, one of the first things that you learn is that 
um, you're going to have a specific niche that you're going to focus on. And that niche is going to be dictated by your some of your biggest um, customers. And so if a customer, for example, you have a certain product and the customer comes in and says, hey, you know what? Uh, I'm going to spend $400 million on your product if you do A, B, and C. That is going to influence your roadmap a lot because you know you, you can have a great impact revenue-wise from that customer. And that could you know, potentially positively influence or affect other customers as well. Whereas in the consumer space, it's not that one customer will come to me and say, hey, if you build this on LinkedIn, I'm going to pay you X, <laughs> right? That doesn't happen. Yeah. So this is much more data-driven and understanding segments and understanding users and really focusing on what is the data telling us so that we yeah. can have most of the impact. Not that in the B2B space doesn't happen, but you also have in the B2B space, this mix of, well, there's this relationship with this company or there's this big company trying to do A, B, and C, and how does that affect the rest of the company? And uh, one more thing to highlight, I, I also think that in the business-to-business -business world, it's much more typical to be part of um, a, a suite of products or a bundle of products, where if you think of a company like Microsoft, where I used to work, it's not that you just think of Excel. You think of yeah. Office. And if you think of Office, then you think of OneDrive. And if you think of OneDrive, then you think of OneNote. And suddenly things start expanding and it's not just one product. So whatever you do as a product manager is going to have probably an influence on many of the other products. On the consumer space, um, it's everything is bundled into one product. So like if you think of LinkedIn, it's not that there's one PM for the feed or messaging yeah. or you know connection requests. There are PMs distributed among the different parts of LinkedIn and together we have to coordinate in one single product. So it's a very, very interesting way of looking at a product from different perspectives. But I would say those are you know just, just to name some of the uh, things that I find curious as what are the differences between the B2B and the B2C world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I I agree. I've also made uh, I think the opposite. I I had first experience on B two C, then I moved to B two B, and indeed, uh, what you said, right? Like when the biggest client comes and say, like, I really need this, <laughs> influences a lot what <laughs> the priorities that you have. <laughs> awesome. And maybe uh, um, you, you mentioned you started I think your career on uh, Cisco, right? As mm -hmm. as a product manager. How, yep. how did you get there? Like how, so you mentioned you had the MBA, right? But how also did you maybe even, even found, right? The, the role? Uh... Yeah, I think at the time, and it was honestly not so long ago, but 20, 2015, 2016, at the time we didn't have that many resources on product management. It was a thing, but there was actually not that many things that you could, you know, go and watch videos or articles. Yeah. There was one book over here and there and, you know, whatever, little things you could find on Wikipedia. So the best way to know about it was literally networking. And it was just understanding what is the role. And so we would talk with our classmates who came back from the internships and then from alumni who just graduated and were now in the industry uh, working as product managers and trying to bring them back to school for, for us to learn more about the role. So it was a lot of word to mouth and just understanding the differences and nuances of being a PM here and there, different companies, different cultures, so on and so forth. But I think the, the biggest impact on that was, um, I believe that many, many people out there think that, oh, you need an MBA to break into product management, right? Uh, because you, you, you break the business side and they recruit right on campus. But the reality is that for me, 
it worked because I didn't know about product management before business school. Yeah. If I had known about product management before that, maybe things would have been different. Maybe I just, I wouldn't have done an MBA, who knows, but it worked for me. So it can work for many people, but it's not a mandatory thing that if you want to be a PM, go do an MBA, but you're absolutely right. That's how I discovered product management. That's how I um, got my first job at Cisco by networking with people, understanding the role. And the most important thing, and let me finish with that. And the most important thing of everything, of all the research of my MBA, of getting into Cisco was transferable skills understanding the role of product management and how my previous experience as a consultant in Mexico matched those skills, those relevant experiences so that I could tell my story and say, hey, I've never been a product manager before, but I can do the job. And here's how I've done all of these things that a product manager does. And yes, I still have to experience this, this and that, whatever that is, whether it's roadmap or I don't know, influencing without authority, whatever skills are, but I have all of these other ones. And here's a plan to you know, overcome whatever I'm missing. So transferable skills was definitely the biggest thing uh, that I worked on or the most important thing that I worked on to get into product management. Nice. Yeah, and I I think very good indeed that you mentioned that, well, I think first of all, like that that, that maybe the path to get there is not a standard one, right? Definitely the MBA helps, but indeed it's it's not the only way. Um, and you also mentioned that content, right? That indeed, I think I, I also have experienced more or less the same years in product. Uh, and it's super nice to see now how more and more content there is, right? Uh, super easy to find. I think a lot of videos indeed on like, what is the role? What is the day-to-day? I think there are a lot of very nice videos on like, this is in my day, what exactly I do. So super nice. Is, is that also maybe like a, a driver on the, the, the content that you create? Or how, how did that uh, adventure start? Let me tell you how it started, but then why I keep going, because they are are very different, (laughs) and I'll explain that. True. (laughs) So so, uh, it all started mid-2020. I saw a post on LinkedIn. There was this couple of PMs from Google who said, hey, some of our um, friends, colleagues on product management are losing their jobs because of COVID. So if you want to sign up and mentor people and help them with resume, mock interview, um, you know, sign up here. And the organization was called, it's not running anymore. It was called Help Your Peers. So I signed up. I coached a couple of PMs who who were in that stage of they lost their jobs and they were trying to find something new. And at the end, the the organizers asked me to do a session to a group of students who were graduating, couldn't find jobs, and they were interested in products. So I gave them a talk of what is product management, how to enter the space, and so on and so forth. At the end, they all reached out on LinkedIn asking for one-on-ones. And I told them, guys, this is awesome, but I have other things to do. I can't have a, pause, a phone call half an hour with every single one of you. So let me do one thing. Let me record a video um, talking more about what is product management. And if you like it, I'll make another video. And if you like yeah. that one, I'll make another video. And I just continued and I just kept growing. But the, the, the thing that, that kept me going, so that's how it started. And it was nice to get that positive feedback and saying, oh, you know, People like my videos when I can't watch again my first video because it's so bad. It's, it's, <laughs> I was a completely amateur. I didn't know how to edit. I didn't know how to speak in a camera. But anyways, people liked it somehow. So then I started getting reached out to people as my LinkedIn audience was growing. Um, I started getting reached out to people saying, hey, listen, I, I'm struggling to find a job. And I found this course on product management. And it I need to spend up to $5,000 on it or $400 or $1,000. All, you know, price was everywhere. Yeah. But they were really expressing a, I don't have the money, but I want to get into this to, to this to really get into a better stage in my life, right? 
some yeah. others will reach out and say, "Hey, I got my COVID relief checks in, in you know in, in the U.S. when that was when that was a thing for Americans." And they were they were asking me, "I have this check. Either I pay for a course that is gonna cost thousands of dollars, or I pay my bills. What do I do?" Wow. Right? And that kind of got got me a little bit mad because we went from there's no information, yeah. um, as we were as we were saying, to now you have to pay a ton of money to get the information. So. I was thinking about it, being myself an, an immigrant and still going through immigration processes and visas and not being really able to, to put my own uh, company right now and not do anything on the side to earn money. I thought, well, maybe there's something that I can keep helping people. And so let me create content that for those who want to spend thousands of dollars, you know, you're welcome and go and do it. But for those that are looking for free information, let me produce quality, good free information that will help them land the job. So a little bit of a long story, but that's really how it started and why I keep going. Nice, super, super nice story. Yeah, I, and thank you. I mean, I, I I have benefited also a lot, I think, uh, from, from the content, right? I think the tips, uh, the templates and the networking messages. Uh, and yeah, I, I also see, of course, the audience also being very thankful. So very, ah, very nice. <laughs> thank you. Let me add one more thing, which I think, uh, to me, it's one of the highlights of being able to create all this free content and, and, and focusing or at least try to focus on the quality is that I'm working with the University of Washington to, to create, or we actually created already last year, mm-hmm. a, um, a, a, pro, a program, a product management accelerator program for underrepresented minorities, uh, people of color, Latin Americans, women, everyone who feels that comes from an underrepresented voice to help them land a job in product. It's 100% free. It's built based on content. A big part of it is built based on my content. And just the fact that we are getting to our goals of getting you know, 100 people by this summer in product management through my content, through mentors, through the free courses that we offer, um, that to me is a, is a great proof that, that it works, right? Besides yeah. people like you have benefited, um, that's... That's how I get paid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, amazing, super nice story, and maybe to to continue also with the content or just right this uh, goal of keep learning. I think always as a PM, uh, what what are maybe some books that you have found also to be uh, you know super useful or maybe that have influenced also uh, your your career now as a product manager? Yeah, I'm gonna share three that I like. Um, All right, one of them is really new, but I'm I'm loving it. I'm not going to recommend the typical PM books, uh, the ones that you see on different images or on websites, because I think that um, one, most books that talk about product management, they give you the ideal state of a product manager, like, oh, a PM should be in charge of user research and then ideation, and then a hypothesis, and then they continue. Yeah. When you get to the job, it's very different. <laughs> um, so, so I think all of those books are great to get you started in the path of how do I crack into the job or how do I yeah. break into the job, right? But things that have helped me along my career, one, I, I think this is my favorite book, is called The Design of Everyday Things by Don mm. Norman. Yeah. It's, it's a book that I believe it's, if not required, at least most of my designer friends have gone through it when they were studying it, when they were studying the, their degrees. But what I really love about this book is, I don't know if it had happened to you, Carlos, but if you've ever gone to a restaurant, a bar, a home, anywhere, and, and you try to open the door and you push it and you, it turns out that you had to pull or the other way around, or you had to slide it and you yeah. couldn't open it at the first time. 
most of the time, if it has happened to you, probably you've thought about this is like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. I can't even open a door. Like, <laughs> how, like, duh, I couldn't open the door. <laughs> and what this book argues is that no, it's, it's not us. Is the product is really badly designed. In fact, if you've ever heard of the term user-centered design, this book, Don Norris, the one who made it popular. And all this book is all about we need to think about our products and our designs with the user at the center. Yes, if they need 300,000 functionalities to make their job, that doesn't mean that we should show it on everything at the same time on the screen as we typically see in products. But it's rather, what are the things that we need to design in, in such a delightful user experience that the, that the user, which in the end, that's what the product is for, solves their problem. So I think, in my opinion, every PM, even if you don't work on the on the front end of a product, should go through the, the design of everyday things. It, it really puts you in the perspective of, we don't have to settle for a bad design because yeah. one thing is a product may solve the problem, but if it has a bad design, it's not gonna solve the problem. So that's my number one, number one book. Um, let me share two others, which I also yes. think are great. Uh, that one I have it on, on on uh, on on um, on Kindle, so I can't show it. But the other two, <laughs> one is this one, "Hooked" by yeah. Nir Eyal, and I think every day more now than ever we see uh, gamification everywhere, and and we also see people trying to do gamification everywhere, but but it's also really bad most of the times. Some of very popular examples of great gamification has been Duolingo. Duolingo, it's an app for learning languages. And learning languages, if you think about it, is, is really, really boring. Is yeah. You sit down, you repeat, you read, you speak. But Duolingo made it a game and made it fun. And it's growing at, at, at an incredible rate. And people are learning languages. And a big core of Duolingo is gamification, giving you rewards and giving you games for you to learn languages. And so this book, Hooked, it's a great um, refresher of how does this type of companies actually make gamification work? What do you need to understand about your users if you want to implement gamification? And why simply saying, oh, here's you know uh, a medal or points or whatever it is, just doing that doesn't work. You need to understand the psychology behind gamifying something. So I really, really love that book. Because I feel that as we make more progress in technology and, and more applications, we're going to see more gamifications and doing it right. It, it takes, uh, it's an art. It's not just yeah. adding points yeah. to the screen. Yeah. Um, I have one last one, uh, if you allow me to share. I also have it here. This is the new one, so I still haven't finished it. But I think it's amazing. Uh, I'm a big video gamer. And so there is this book called Ask Iwata which okay. is uh, Iwata, Satori Iwata is a former uh, CEO of Nintendo. He passed away recently. And Iwata was um, an engineer who was at this company who, before, before becoming Nintendo, who was at this company that was actually not doing great. Uh, it was about to go on bankruptcy and a bunch of executives left and they basically appointed Iwata as, you know, you're next in line, so now you are the boss. <laughs> and... He, what he does is he starts understanding um, understanding the people at the company and what are their pain points and, and how to start turning around the company by listening to people, by listening to their problems, by really understanding what their employees want, what gamers want, 
what investors want. So it's really centered around uh, these books are centered about management, around users, around pain points, around how to turn things around in chaos. And and the the funny thing about this book, and I, I'll stop with after this, but the, the funny thing about this book and what I like it so much about it is that Iwata um, never never gave a conference or or an interview for this book. Rather, it's a collection of all the memories of people around him and whenever he made a public appearance because he was so humble that he was a kind of person who didn't like sitting down for specific interviews about his life because yeah. he thought his job was more important and the people around here were more important than him. So it's just a fantastic book. I think in the, in the career as a PM, it just gives you that perspective of you need to focus on your career and how you treat your career and how you treat others because as soon as you start PM, um, most of other jobs, your most important job to help you you know level up as a pm is going to be the people around you but let me pause there i think those are three fantastic books that i recommend <laughs> every pm to read nice awesome i haven't read that uh, third one so i would definitely add it to to my list uh super nice i i also like that um like you said right i think if you search uh, product manager books on google i think a lot of them are uh, about frameworks about okrs roadmaps uh, I like also that, that the first ones that you mentioned, the first two ones that are really like user-based, right? Because I, I always feel like, okay, you can know all the frameworks there are, but you don't really know how the user thinks or what they want, right? Like the frameworks don't, <laughs> that don't doesn't matter, right? Yeah. When, when aspiring PMs ask me, hey, Diego, please make a video on the frameworks that you use the most as a product manager. I just keep thinking, well, I, I don't <laughs> like <laughs> if I need something, I'll search for it. I'll ask around to other PMs. Like it's not that if you need a prioritization, you'll always use, for example, the popular one, Moscow or, or Rice. It, you, you don't go just to those. Like you ask around, you ask people near you, 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 you try things out. So if you use one framework or the other, it's the least important thing in, in, in the problem. And, and the most important thing is, is this solving the problem for the user? Are we solving it the right way? Is yeah. it really being you know, a good experience for the user? How you prioritize? I think it goes into a little bit of a second phase, but um, yeah, yeah, uh, you're right. I think yeah. frameworks is the most popular thing out there for PMs. That's why I decided to go a little bit sideways on, on, on this <laughs> space. Nice, nice. Yeah, indeed. And, and, and also, as you said, right, with, um, with the frameworks that I think a lot of the times or some books or articles when they, they talk about it, you read it and you're like, okay, I will go tomorrow and apply it. And then you realize that there are so many other moving things that you're like, no, but wait, this is not the template. <laughs> yeah. And, and so when, when I think of, of, again, the design of everyday things uh, by, by Don Norman, when I think about that book and when I go and talk with my team and I start hearing, um, oh, hey, I think we should do this and we should do that. And it will be amazing if we fix this, you know, 20 other things. And when I start hearing these ideas, it, it just brings me back to saying, okay, those are great ideas, but are we really thinking about the user at the center of these ideas? Like, are we really solving their problems or are yeah. we solving for our own preferences? Like what, yeah. what's, if, if I'm a user and I go through this experience, how is it going to look like? And even if it happened, let me just have one more thing here. It happened to me when I joined Microsoft and I tried one of the products for the first time. I was going through it and I was like, I'm a Microsoft employee. I'm in training and I don't understand how all of this works. Like I need yeah. to take, I don't know how many workshops to get me going in this product, 
right? Whereas if you, you know, turn on any app on your phone, that is, you know, some of the popular ones, some of the, the, the big ones, like even TikTok, it's so easy to use. You don't yeah. need an instruction. You don't need a guide. You, you, you don't need to do anything. It's a, a few taps and boom, you, you know how to use the app. So that's why I really love these kind of books, which is it brings you back all the time to, yes, frameworks are important and yes, um, you know, understanding the team and what's not, but bringing the user at the center of the conversation, I think it's the most important thing. Yeah. 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 And, and as you mentioned, right, like I think also not only for people that only work on like front end or like, I don't know how you say, like, I don't want to say user because every, every product has a user. Right. And that's also what I like, I think, from the book that gives these examples of like, yeah, doors. Right. So really makes you think that not only if you have a full time UX designer or a super nice landing page, only then you need to think of it. But yeah, I, I've discussed with so many like internal uh, facing PMs, right? And it's like, there is also someone that will use it, right? Someone needs to understand it. Like, like you said, right? We need to make it easier for, for all of them um, to, to get the value of the product, right? As soon as possible. Yeah, no, no, exactly. It's, it's, it's a combination of understanding the, your user and then what are the things that you're helping them solve? You're right. I, I think we've all seen or most of us have seen internal products that are so bad. It's such a pain to, to, to use them. <laughs> and you have to go back to your notes to see how to use it. Uh, I also think that's why uh, apps like Notion are so popular. It's not, yes, they use templates, but it's so easy to use that if you've never used an app like Notion, it, it, it's very, very, it's, it, is, it is literally designed with the user uh, at its core, it's it's easy to use. The examples are easy to follow. Everything is very easy to do in Notion. And if you're looking for you know something more advanced functionality, they create this simple, very very small gifs that will show you in two clicks how to achieve your goal, and it's just incredible. Um, but like I said, combining that plus gamification uh, from from the book Hooked, I just think it's incredibly powerful, and it's something that uh, as PMs we need to constantly think about because. We, we get to obsess over metrics and we read books yeah. on OKRs and we read books on frameworks and we read books on efficiency. But sometimes we, we forget about how do we make it a better experience? And what that better experience translates to is, is into sometimes actually more engagement, more sales, more everything. Actually, let me tell you a super quick story just to drive the point home about uh, a book like Hooked. Yeah. So when... Do, some time ago, I think it was a couple of years ago, Duolingo, they were really struggling with one of their features. And that feature is, uh, again, this, this app for, for learning languages, the feature was called Duolingo Stories. And Duolingo Stories used to be this feature that only exists in, uh, on, on, on the website. It didn't exist on the app. And the whole point about that feature is you would read this very, very long and boring story and then they would ask you a few questions and you would answer it. Uh, it, was, it was a really bad design. And the team had been working on it for, gosh, I don't know how, how long, but for a long time, enough so that they were planning to kill that feature. They, they, nobody believed in that feature anymore. They brought in a new PM, and I, I owe you the name of the PM, but they, they, they brought in a new PM. Mm -hmm. and, and nobody believed in, it, not in the PM, but nobody believed in the feature. <laughs> so this PM, he said, you know what, let's, let's try something new. 
let's set some OKRs. And our OKRs are going to be, they're not going to be increased usage by X or increase you know, number of uh, stories read by Y. His OKRs for the team were going to be, let's understand our users and let's understand how users use stories. What they found out was that it was such a bad user experience and it was so constrained to, to, to web that they were missing on so many other parts that they could tap in by using the app and by improving the user experience. Long story short, after they, and, and the OKRs were something like, you know, meet at least 10 members with 10 members of Duolingo a month or a week or something like that. So, so it was literally listening and talking to the users. Yeah. When they finished that exercise, they transformed so much uh, the concept of, of stories, Duolingo stories, that they went from, I think if I'm not mistaken, from something like uh, 10,000 or, or less than 10,000 users of, of that feature uh, a month to more than 80,000 in, in a matter of like a two or three months. And wow. then the whole Duolingo app was actually redesigned to use uh, stories as, as the center of, of one of their main features for the app itself. So they he was able through OKRs, but the OKR center on the user to, to completely transform the app itself. And so going back to the books, I think combination of having your, your user being this user-centered design, uh, right? The design of everyday things, understanding the, the psychology and how to implement things from, from uh, Hooked, right? The book about uh, this, this gamification. And yeah. then understanding the relationship with, with people around you and with customers in this book that I'm still finishing of asking <laughs> what, uh, I think it's a great combination to understand that not, not everything's frameworks, not everything is just the metric that, you know, the data tell us. And, and that sometimes it's more important to take a step back and really, really understand and focus and double down on your users. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think also that that it is hard, right? Because I think especially with gamification, like you said, it has become so popular that also sometimes PMs or people think like, okay, I'm going to add this badge here. And now I, I made gamification, right? But I think on the, on the book, uh, Near explores a lot the, the whole psychology behind, right? Which I, I really enjoyed also when, when I read it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, so those are my three recommendations. And you're right. Uh, I think especially hooked nowadays is gonna probably gonna be something that hopefully every PM with the idea of gamification is, is going to read. You're absolutely right. It's not just about adding a badge or a price, it's understanding the psychology behind why people keep coming back to some of those apps. Nice. Awesome. And, and maybe besides books, um, what kind of other content maybe you also like refer or use, you know, for, for your uh, yeah, everyday uh, job? It's interesting. It's an interesting question. I'll tell you why. I think there are so many differences and nuances and, and, and just in general, it's, it's so different to work as a PM in a startup versus a large tech company versus a company that is pharma tech versus fintech yeah. <laughs> versus so many others, right? And I think, again, once again, we obsess over frameworks and all the things that we've talked about. So for me personally, what has worked the most, honestly, is finding communities, communities of PMs that are going through the same thing that I'm doing, but also communities of PMs who are above me. And mm -hmm. so the reason why I say that is because instead of trying to find a course or a certification 
or or finding something specialized to me, which is going to be really hard because once again, of the, of all the nuances of the industries and companies and what's not, I I come to these people, people that are now I trust, part of the community, and expose my case and say, hey, I'm struggling with this, or I have this issue, or hey, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to approach this problem. And then they are the ones who share resources with me saying, oh, there's this great article. I'll give an example. Very recently, I was trying to figure out a good way to write a product strategy document. And I, I, wanted, I wanted it to be you know, concise to the point that something that really drives the idea home. And I was struggling because there were so many resources on the internet about product strategy. So I approached this community and communities on LinkedIn, Twitter, you know, whatever everyone prefers. And I just said, hey, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And they sent me like two, three articles where like, oh, this is on point. I used it. It worked on this. I used that one. Be careful with this other point. Uh, and it was just, for me, honestly, the best resource that I could consume. Because who, who knows better than other PMs who have gone through yeah, that and, and exactly. already curated the content, right? Instead of me trying to find out what was the best thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I lo- love it. Because indeed, I, I, what I hear is also that it's okay to always ask for help, right? I, I think... It's very easy sometimes to be like, okay, well, if I'm this long in the role, then I should know it, right? And uh, I fully agree. And I, that I also always tell uh, people, it, it's always okay, right, to, to ask for help. Even better, indeed, like you said, right, if there's a community, if there are people that maybe already have experience uh, with the challenge. So I, I really like your, your suggestion. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that, that works for me. Communities work for me. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Diego, I think... Um, we heard your recommendation. We heard your book. Uh, any final remarks from your side? Yeah, I would say um, don't obsess over which resource is better, right? I think there are so many resources, which is awesome. And I think instead focus more on one, finding your community, that that tribe of people who are you know at your same level or above you and who have already maybe curated some lists that have worked for them. Uh, that goes back to your point, Carlos, I've always asked for help. Uh, you're not alone. I think I love to see how product is is growing. And I think sometimes we feel alone in our role and what better to have yeah. this tribe to help us uh, go through it. Um, and then the last thing is that, and this is just a personal recommendation, but before jumping into spending money on courses, on training, on boot camps, on even on books, um, start by asking people around, ask people around you, what, what worked for you? What are the things that you liked? Is there some free version of it? By free version, I mean, like, not, not, not go and find it for free <laughs> if it's a paid book, but more like, is there a YouTube video? Is there a blog yeah. on Medium? Is there something that talks about the same thing? And once you go through the free content and you decide that maybe you need something extra, something a little bit more, something more self-paced videos kind of thing, then go through paid content. But definitely the constant here is, don't be afraid to ask for help, find your community, and don't be afraid to just try and explore things for yourself. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you very much, Diego. And of course, people also, I invite them to, to check your YouTube channel, follow you on LinkedIn, right? Um, so yeah, again, thanks, Diego, for the time. Thanks for, for, yeah, for being in, in the show with us. Yeah, thank you so much, Carlos, for inviting me. And uh, for everybody listening, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, looking forward to being here again. Awesome.